second reading this morning is uh, Galatians chapter 3. I want to read verses 1 through 14. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So a little bit later in this service, uh, in our affirmation of faith, we will read question 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which asks, what is true faith? This is a very important question, particularly for us evangelicals who believe in salvation by faith alone. If salvation is the difference between heaven and hell, if sal- and if salvation depends upon having true faith, then it seems like we should be clear about what the Bible means when it says that we are saved by faith. Listen to the answer that's given in the Heidelberg Catechism. True faith is not only a short knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in Scripture. That's part one. It is also a wholehearted trust, which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the gospel, that God has freely granted not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. Now, the first part of that answer says that true faith is a sure knowledge by which I hold to the truths of the Bible. Some parts of the Bible are not very clear. 
Some parts of the Bible are hard to understand, and we can set those aside for the moment, but there are other parts of the Bible that are as clear as day. The Bible says, not just in one place, but in many places, that Jesus was crucified and that he died and that he was resurrected from the dead. The Bible has revealed to us that Jesus was raised from the dead, and anyone who does not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead does not have true belief. The person who does not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead is not saved. But that part is easy. The resurrection of Jesus was a physical event. It had a supernatural source, but it was an event that could be confirmed by people like the Apostle Thomas, who actually sticks his hands into the wounds of Jesus now, you and I, we have to rely upon the historical testimony of those people who saw the resurrected Jesus. And there are criteria by which we evaluate the claims that Jesus rose from the dead. From a purely historical point of view, the resurrection of Jesus is as reliable a fact as any that we have from ancient times. But some of the things that the Bible reveals are actually far more difficult because they're more spiritual than the resurrection. And therefore, they're harder to confirm. For example, in Ephesians 4.32, we read, In Christ God forgave you. In Christ God forgave you. So, how do we go about confirming that? Paul says to the Christians at Ephesus, logically we would assume that what's true of them would be true of us, that God has forgiven them, that these people have sinned, but that somehow in Christ, God has forgiven their sins. How do we know that? How do we confirm that kind of statement? You see, that's a very different kind of claim than the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead. Even though people being raised from the dead is not something that happens every day, there is a way to check something like that. When Mary and Martha and Peter and James and John saw the resurrected Jesus, they said, yep, he's risen. He's risen indeed. But what about a statement like, God has forgiven my sins? The same Bible that says that Jesus was raised from the dead also says to Christians that in Christ, God has forgiven them. Is it possible that Paul is wrong or that he's lying? What about if I still feel guilty? What if I haven't confessed every sin? What if I have a sin in my life that I keep going back to over and over again? Am I forgiven? You see, it's much harder to believe a truth like God, in Christ God forgave you, than it is to believe a truth like on the third day Jesus was raised from the dead. Partly because one is a claim about a physical event, while the other is a claim about a spiritual condition. But another reason the claim is hard to believe is because it's about me personally. And yet, this is precisely, according to the Heidelberg Catechism, what I do need to believe. True faith, saving faith, is a wholehearted trust 
that God has freely granted to me forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, salvation. Now, of course, it is the Holy Spirit who creates that faith and trust. We don't do that by our own effort. The way the Holy Spirit does that is through the gospel, which is why we, this month, are going to be talking again and again about the basics of the gospel, because while I want you to believe that God uh, delivered and protected his uh, people in their journey from you know, Egypt to the Promised Land, as we were reading in the book of Numbers, I also want you to believe that Christ died for you and that he took his sins upon, he took your sins upon himself so that you might have the righteousness of God. I want you to have a wholehearted trust that God has freely granted to you forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. Last week we talked about how we are saved by faith and not by doing the works of the law. This is odd, of course, because everywhere else in our lives we are rewarded for doing the right thing. We get good grades when we you know, study hard, we get ahead in our job when we work hard. Uh, our wife is happy with us when we do the right thing. There are all of the other aspects of our lives. We are rewarded by our efforts. God tells us the right things to do, but then also, mysteriously, he tells us that no one is in fact made righteous by doing those things. And that's because all of us fail to keep the law perfectly. No one is actually sinned free in this world, but it's also because even the good stuff that we do, even our righteousness, is tainted with bad motivations. So the Bible says that even our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And so if we have the temerity to go to God and say, hey, look at all of this good stuff that I did, look at my resume of good works, I teach Sunday school, I recycle my lawn clippings, I tithe my income, I sponsor a child in Africa. And with each of those items on our resume of good works, the list of things that we present to God, expecting Him to be put into our debt, because after all, what would you know, God do without all of our good works? To each item on that list, God says, filthy rags, filthy rags. Filthy rags. In the gospel, a righteousness apart from the law, separate from the law, a righteousness that isn't about us doing the right thing, is revealed. This righteousness is an imputed righteousness, one that is given to us, rather than one that we create when we are united with Christ in faith. So the core of the gospel is about an exchange that happens when we're saved. By faith in Christ, we're united to Christ. And by faith in Christ, our sins are transferred to Christ, and his death on the cross pays for this, the penalty for those sins. And by faith in Christ, the perfect righteousness of Christ becomes the robes that we are dressed in when we stand before God. There's an exchange, a double exchange that happens here. Christ gets our garbage. And we get his perfection. And all of that happens by unity with Christ. And that's the core of the gospel. All of the other stuff 
in the New Testament that tells you about how to live, you know, turn the other cheek, someone asks you for your coat, you know, give them your shirt too, don't judge, sell everything that you have and follow Jesus. All of the stuff in the New Testament that tells you how to live, that stuff is law. Okay? It's a continuation of the law of Moses. It's a continuation of the Ten Commandments. And all of that stuff is good and wise and it's true teaching. But here's what you need to recognize. It will not save you. And it's not going to save the world either. Our salvation is in Christ alone, by faith in Christ alone. So that's some of the stuff that we talked about last week. This week... We read another passage from the book of Galatians, and I don't want to do anything fancy with it. I just want to walk through it uh, so we can hear some of the passages fresh in our mind. In verse 1, we read, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The problem in the Galatian church, the reason that Paul is writing to them and is saying things like, oh, you foolish Galatians, is that after Paul left this church, new teachers came into the church and began to add to what Paul had preached. They were saying something like, well, you know, uh, faith in Jesus is a good thing, but in addition to that faith, here are nine other things that you need to be doing. If you want to be justified before God, faith in Jesus is good, but to that faith you must add certain works to be right with God. Paul says to the Galatians, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is Paul describing his own preaching, or the content of his preaching. You see him doing something similar in 1 Corinthians where we read, Dear brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I told you the secret truth of God, but I did not use fancy words or great wisdom. I decided that while I was with you, I would forget about everything except Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. For Paul, the cross is the central message. The cross is the basic truth that had to be conveyed to these people who didn't know anything about the gospel yet. One of the problems with explaining the gospel is that you and I, we know so much about the gospel that maybe we don't know where to begin. Paul, the most successful missionary in history, preached Christ and Christ Crucified. Now that might seem strange to us. Maybe we would want to start our presentation of the gospel someplace else. But this is what Paul does. He preaches it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that here was this man and he died on the cross. And that's your salvation. In verses 2 through 5, Paul asks a string of rhetorical questions. And you can see that he's frustrated. He says... Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing uh, with faith? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's point is that it is faith and not works 
that have given them the Holy Spirit. It is faith and not works that is leading them to perfection. It is by faith and not works that the Holy Spirit is producing miracles amongst them. Paul is frustrated because these people have received so much through faith, but they've been bewitched into thinking that it is works or righteous deeds that is going to produce the fruit of Christian living. Now, we then get into some interesting Old Testament versus New Testament issues. People often think of the, Old Test of the New Testament as being pure gospel and the Old Testament as being pure law. We think of the teaching of Jesus being all about grace and the teaching of Moses being all about judgment, but that is not true. Jesus preaches a lot of law and Moses preaches a lot of grace. The gospel is in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. Verse 8 of our reading this morning says, And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The gospel is about salvation by faith, not by works of the law. And in the passage from Genesis that we have now read three weeks running, we hear Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to Abraham as righteousness. To be counted as righteous is to be justified before God. To be justified before God is to have God view you as not deserving punishment. In other words, to say that Abraham was counted as righteous is just another way of saying that Abraham was saved. He was in a state of grace. Was Abraham saved by keeping the law? Well, of course not, because the law didn't even exist yet. Why was Abraham counted as righteous? Because he trusted God. Now, those of you who have the book of James in the back of your mind, you know that faith without works is not faith at all. So how do we know that Abraham believed God? Well, when God said, pick up your family and move to a country that you've never been to before, that's exactly what Abraham did. Obedience is the sign of faith. Abraham's not saved by the obedience. He's saved by the faith. And then the obedience follows. And just as Abraham was justified by faith, so we too are justified by faith. When we are justified by faith, one of the things that happens is that we are adopted into the family of Abraham. I want to talk about this for a minute because the current war in Israel again raises the question of how we Christians are to relate to the people of Israel. We read in verses 6 and 7, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. The children of Israel are God's chosen people, and the nation of Israel is part of God's eternal plan to bless the entire world. Those who seek to destroy Israel actually seek to destroy the world. Those who hate Israel actually hate God himself. Now, I could talk to you for 12 hours about this, and maybe we need to another time. But I'm just going to lob that one out there from the pulpit this morning. 
Being born a Jew is a tremendous privilege and a tremendous burden. For us as Christians, it's hard to understand how exalted an opinion Jews have of themselves uh, for just being Jews. Because God's covenants are with the Jews. Because God's promises are for the Jews and Gentiles are not part of that. But listen to what John the Baptizer says to his Jewish brothers who came to hear John preaching out in the wilderness. This is Matthew chapter 3. John says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were descendants of Abraham, and they were proud of this fact. John sees their hearts, however, and knows that their lives are not pleasing to God, and he says that being a Jew is not a big deal, because God can make Jews out of rocks. Well, as it turns out, God did something even stranger. He made Jews out of Gentiles. Just as Abraham had been justified by faith in God, the time came after Jesus when Gentiles were justified by their faith in God too. And when that happened, they became children of Abraham. Every follower of Jesus Christ is grafted into the family tree of Abraham. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into the family and become partakers of the promises. Now, because faith is required for salvation, not every physical descendant of Abraham will be saved, only those who trusted in God. Paul tells us that some of the branches will be pruned away, even as other branches are grafted in. But those of us who are Gentiles, who have been grafted into the root of Abraham by faith in Jesus, we need to be really careful to not think that this tree is our tree now and that the Jews have been replaced. The children of Israel remain God's chosen people, and God's plan for the redemptive history of the world continues to involve the nation of Israel, which is why Christian anti-Semitism makes no sense. In reality, since the day of Pentecost, the church has always been a place where Jews and Gentiles have been one body. The church from the very beginning has always been this funny combination of Jews and Gentiles. Some of us are blood relatives of Abraham. Others of us are adopted into the family of Abraham. And all of us together look back to Abraham as our model of faith, of simple trust, of doing what God said, well, just because God said it. Abraham was not justified and saved because he had never sinned. Abraham was justified and saved the same way that we are, by trusting in God. So how shall we live? In one sense, being a Christian is adopting a certain way of life. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavily laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When he says that, he's talking about a way of living. This yoke of Jesus is the way of life that was prescribed for followers of Jesus. The rabbi would have disciples who would study with him, and the rabbi would have certain expectations of his disciples. They were supposed to do things this way and not that way. 
Take, for example, the Amish, who have a certain way of life that's prescribed for them by their bishops. If you want to be an Amish man, you can't have a car, and you have to wear a beard if you're married. Not having a car and having a beard are part of the yoke of being Amish. Jesus said that his yoke was easy. The way of life that he prescribed was actually light. You'll remember that the followers of John the Baptizer were known for fasting while the followers of Jesus were known for feasting. You'll remember the Pharisees wouldn't pluck ears of wheat in the field on the Sabbath day even if they were hungry, but the followers of Jesus would. You'll remember that the disciples of Jesus asked him to teach them how to pray just as John had taught his disciples how to pray. These are all examples of these different yokes of different masters. And as Christians, it's fair to ask, how shall we live? What should our yoke look like? And you can study the New Testament to discover the features of the Christian way of life. But what I want you to understand today is this, that all of that yoke is the law, and it's not the gospel. Any yoke that we take on ourselves, no matter how light that yoke might be, that yoke is law and not gospel, and it is important for us to remember that we are not saved by the law or by the yoke, even if it is the law of Christ. Remember the law of Christ. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You can love your neighbor as yourself and still fail to be saved. We are not saved even by the law of Christ. The reason is, is because none of us actually keep it. Jesus' yoke was easier than the yoke of the Pharisees, but the yoke didn't save anybody. So when we read in the New Testament, which contains a lot of law, that we must, we must always be careful to not be looking for the law uh, as the source of our salvation. We must always be careful not to think, oh, if I just do all of these things that Jesus said that I should do, then he will love me and accept me. We cannot think that way because if we do, we will be doomed. No one is saved by keeping the law. But if you are saved, then the law of Jesus and the yoke of Jesus becomes a model for you for how to live. And when you live that way, you do bring honor to God. But let us never make the mistake of counting on that yoke or that law to make us right with God. It won't. The only thing that the law does for us is reminds us of the fact that we need a Savior. Paul writes, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and, and, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. So how shall we live? We shall live by faith, by saving faith. The Heidelberg Catechism reminds us that true faith is believing everything that the God has revealed in his Bible, not just the parts that we like, but the whole Bible, and that true faith is also a wholehearted trust that God has freely granted to me forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. That's what we have to start with. 
We have to start with the wholehearted trust that God has freely granted to me forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. That's where our Christian life begins with this wholehearted trust. This morning, I just want to take a moment before we invite the musicians back up to think about the condition of our own hearts. I don't want you to think about your sin. We all know that you're sinners. I don't want you to think about the intricacies of theology. We're not saved by being smart. This morning, for just a moment, I want you to think about your heart. I want you to take a look inside and see if you have this wholehearted trust. Do you trust that God has freely granted to you, not just to others, forgiveness of your sins, that he has freely granted to you eternal righteousness, that he has freely granted to you Father God, for your mercy, we give you thanks. And now, give us eyes to see the truth, what it is that you accomplished for us. This we pray in Jesus' name.